Today is Wednesday, July 3rd, and this is Rev Thoughts, snackable conversations between Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger. Our topic today, profit versus margin. Hey, Tim, I want to challenge a huge assumption out there, and that is that profit is the money left over somewhat by accident. After the dust settles, a project is done, here's how much money we made, here's the money we spent, and here's what's left over. Wow, it's a lot. Wow, it's a little. Is that, is that profit? Is that how it works? <laughs> right. So you're basically asking the question, how, would you, how do you define profit? Because it feels like revenue minus expenses, what's left over is profit, right? That's how we've been taught to calculate it um, in yeah. math class or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure people people listening, I'm sure are they know that I have an agenda behind my question. Sure. And so I'll just I'll just put I'll just put my cards on the table. I I used to run my company that way back in the day. And I learned a much better way. And thanks thanks to you and the Rev Think way of thinking about these things. But it's this idea of, oh, profit just kinda happens along the way. We try really hard, we work really hard. And as long as the client doesn't change, you know, things on us too many times and we don't have too many revisions or we don't have any unexpected expenses, we're going to end up with profit. And I think there's a mindset that, there that I've come to realize is all wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And maybe some of the way to um, explain it on this podcast is to talk about the origin a little bit of why we call that profit, where that comes from, so that we can talk about what's different about the way we think of um, the leftover yes. money, right? Because we don't uh, we don't call it profit necessarily. Um, okay, so to, when when your say your your accountant or bookkeeper uses the word profit, what's the traditional definition? And then we'll kind of maybe start to debunk that or <laughs> or talk about why that's not. We'll, how we refer to profit nowadays. Sure. Yeah. So, so they're actually using the, the word profit correctly because they're, they're your CPA, they're your bookkeeper. They're looking at your financials and in gap accounting, G A A P accounting gap accounting, you basically take the total revenue of the company, you subtract the expenses within a time period. So traditionally for tax reasons, it's within a 12 month period, you subtract your expenses from the total revenue and you have what's left over is profit. Um, and that, and that's so what the purpose is. anyone's wondering, if I remember correctly, GAAP stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, correct? That's right. And it's uh, GAAP financing is what we traditionally use for, you guessed it, the tax people, right? The, right. the tax folks need some way to give to tax you. <laughs> so they have to give you a calculation of how to get to a number of you know, quote unquote money you made so that they can tax you on that money. And really the term so, profit is that what's acceptable as the money you're going to be paid in tax on. So that's, so that's what the term profit you, it really means is, is what's left over to put on your tax form so you can pay taxes on it. Okay. So now you've maybe sort of set the stage for me to, to tell this little example, because here's what happens to almost every owner, right? Around tax time, the tax, authorities, so the IRS here in the States, will your accountant will hand you a little report and they say, oh, here's the profit the company made, so therefore here's how much tax you owe. And every owner has this moment where they say, 
what are you talking about? There's no way we made that much profit. Where is it? Because if I made half a million dollars in profit, I don't see any bank account with half anywhere near half a million dollars in it. But the it's, accountant is actually correct. It's totally correct. So I'll give one example of where your money goes that people might not see. And so they made profit, but they don't have the cash. Um, when you pay back debt, so let's say you had a line of credit or a credit card, and um, you're looking at a profit of, let's say, $100,000, um, but you paid back a credit card debt from the previous year in the last 12 months, that's profit because that was in the terms of assets, you basically move cash in one form to cash available in another form or available again on your credit card. So that movement is captured in profit on your tax forms, even though you're, it definitely doesn't exist in your bank account because you had to pay back the credit card company. You don't have that cash available. Yeah. Um, what, what, what about a big equipment purchase? Well, right. There are, we'll call them like phantom incomes or phantom expenses. Um, and that might be something like a really big purchase where even though you spent, I'll just say a number like $25,000 on a piece of equipment, um, some of that equipment you can't write off 100% in a 12-month in a period. You can write off, right. let's say, 20% of it. So where you lost $25,000 in cash, according to the IRS, you only really spent $5,000. So you wrote $5,000 off in expenses, not 25,000. You don't have the cash available to, to that. So you pay tax on the $20,000 you didn't. Um, so there are, there are many things that we, make, we do in business that feel like money left my account and went to someone else's account or a different account. And we believe that's an expense. And sometimes those are not items that um, are deductible and therefore have a increase your profit at the bottom line of your P&L report. I'm also thinking of a cash reserve, right? Like, oh, we, we drained our, our cushion, so we're going to put twenty or thirty or $50,000 over here to uh, maintain our liquidity. Well, that's clearly profit, but you're not taking it home and putting it in your pocket. It's really operating well, capital that you're keeping in reserve. Right. So now you're getting to origin of the question because here's the way I, I believe most of us in production think of profit. We mostly come come out of some other situation when we've been on a project. And when we think of a project, it's the basic principles. There's the total amount the client gave us. There's the expenses we have on that project, not even overhead. And then it's very common inside a production company to call the rest profit. So often when we create an engagement with a client, it's it's not unusual for us to hear that they make 40 to 50% profit on projects. Because what they mean is gross profit, really just right. the, the money the client gave them minus the direct expenses on that project. And that's gross profit. That's before all other expenses. And really early on when I started RevThink, I had a similar understanding and I had to expand my knowledge of where the money really goes. And that's some of where the RevThink system came is to interpret the need for finance principles into into a production model so people are making the same decisions uh, looking yep. for the same results regardless of the terminology and i avoid the term profit for that reason because i don't want to use the term profit in such a way the term i use yep. is margin and sometimes i use the term overflow 
and overflow is obvious. It's basically after the expenses, what flows over to another category and what flows over is really a margin. It's the, the amount of money you have available to do something else with. That's how, that's how I so think of me, margin. Let me, uh, I'm going to have you expand that margin in a sure. second, but you reminded me, you reminded me of a friend of mine who started a production company and he was living in this world of what you called gross profit. And that was, he could do a job, the client hands him a big check, he pays for his crew and gets the spot done. And he's like, wow, I'm really profitable. But what happened was as he started to scale, he took on overheads. Mm -hmm. I need to, oh, I'm gonna hire an editor. Oh, I'm gonna hire some PAs. I'm gonna have an office space. I'm gonna have all this stuff. And I remember a year or two later, him coming to me and saying, Joel, if I had known that a reasonable production fee or markup in a production company is 15, maybe 20, if you're lucky, 25%, he's like, I would have never gotten into this business. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that, he can't run a company off of that because he, when you're small, that idea of, wow, I make a lot of profit on a job seems simple. But as the company starts to scale, that is just not feasible. It doesn't scale. Yeah, I mean, you you want to know the scary moment, right? This is the one, and and maybe I don't remember your story exactly of where you were, you know, three three years into business or four years into business, but the the scary moment is this one, right? So you're used to making this, you know, a quote unquote profit that you're used to on these projects. You go from let's say one million to two million dollars um, in business at some point in your growth, um, and you're used to making that. 50%, 35%, these really high margins on your projects. Um, so you're you're not accustomed to what the overhead costs really are. And uh, you, you basically are spending cash like crazy trying to keep up with the demands of the new company. By the way, you're super proud. You've hired brand new people. You brag about how many employees you have and, you know, whatever you're doing. And you're yeah, in your mind, you're saying, I must be making a million dollars because I usually made, I made 50% profit at, at 1 million on 2 million. I must be making a million dollars. So then you also spend, spend money in other places at the end of the year, all of a sudden you have, you know, accumulated a, a maximum maxed out your American express and you've used up $50,000 in line of credit. And all of a sudden you're negative 70 K and then your CPA files the taxes for you. And he says, by the way, you made $200,000 in profit and you owe the IRS another 50K. And you're thinking, where does the money come from? I, every dollar left my checking account. I put every dollar on my, my deal and the IRS wants $50,000 more. That is so yeah. common, Joel. I mean, I can't tell you how many people call us at, in that moment afraid because they had no idea where the money was going as they as they experienced that growth. So what's the, what's the real insight what's the real shift that happens <laughs> like when that person starts to understand wow the rules changed when i went from being a one-man band to being a company to, from one million to two million what is the insight or the takeaway we can give people so they don't think oh my god is that where i'm headed i'm <laughs> i'm gonna be in debt to the irs i should i should shut my business down now yeah. So, so to me, like what I really had to discover is um, like a different name. So I had to discover different names for what this money is that's left over or, you know, the term I use is overflow. 
So um, I do this report uh, called Factors Influencing Profits. Um, you know, every new client we do at RevThink, we kind of run one of these items. It's kind of like looking at somebody's blood pressure and, you know, weight and height or whatever. We, we run a, right. a few reports looking at people's health records and Factors Influencing Profitability is one of those reports we can easily look at the health of the company. And it has those items in there. You have the income of the company, the, the expenses that we uh, take out are what we call direct expenses or the expenses directly related to the cost of doing the project. And that could be staff and freelancer and contractors and, and even sales commissions could be there because those costs yeah. are directly related to doing those projects. Um, let's not forget, sometimes the owners are part of that cost as well because often the owners are doing the work. That's right. If you are fulfilling a job that's on a project, producer, creative director, director, you, you should put some money against that project. The client is basically using up your time that has a value to them. You should be charging them for the value of your time. The next expense that we go after are the indirect costs. So rent, um, benefits, I don't know, travel expenses, some marketing, some sales stuff, th those items. Um, you know, of course, RevThink is always one of those items. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but some of that, like, you know, those things are not related to the projects directly. And then, and that's your indirect costs. So if you took your total revenue and you subtracted the direct costs, and then you start, subtracted your indirect costs, what you have left over is what I call overflow. Um, right. So it's just what flows over after those two items. Right. You did not call it profit because no. that could be somewhat deceiving. So this overflow, this margin, this is the money that's left over. We're just going to call it that for the moment. Yeah, it's how, left over money. How, how would we potentially divide that up? And what do we call those lines? Well, again, so the trick is, is if you call it profit, you believe it's yours. So you're like, awesome. I made 40 grand of profit. I'm going to take $40,000 out of the business checking account. I'm going to go put a down payment on my Tesla. Right. That's what you that's if you think of it as profit, you believe that's what it's available to do. And the reality that that money that's left over has work to do. It's just not part of the direct and indirect costs. There are corporate things that you want to accomplish in your future and you need to finance the, that future with the money that's left over. So the other term people say at this time that I often steer away from is they say they invest the money back in their company. And uh, right. I don't use the term investment because investment to me should be looking at a, a multiple variable return or multiple returns. So if I had a hundred grand in investments, I want to know how fast I double that hundred thousand dollars. Can I double it in two years? Um, if you take your overflow and one of the items that you should definitely have is a cash reserve. If you have no savings account and you don't have, you know, 150,000 to $200,000 in cash reserve, that money is not profit. You shouldn't take it home. You should put that in a savings account until you can get that cash reserve account filled up. Um, I feel my, I feel that Tesla slipping through my fingers. It totally disappears. And by the way, the minute you save that hundred grand, you owe another thirty thousand dollars in taxes. So yeah. when you put that cash reserve, when you put a hundred thousand dollars in cash reserve, you need to put thirty thousand dollars in taxes in that overflow. So now all of a sudden, that profit, hundred grand goes away, taxes go away out of that. Um, it's possible that you could take owner distribution from that, but that's a separate line item of what that distribution is, how much it should be, and you and you could take out a portion of that. Um, but there are other things like I think debt reduction is huge, especially if you're in the situation I was explaining before, where you run up 
you know, hundred thousand dollars worth of debt and you didn't even realize it was coming, you have to pay that back. And by the way, when you pay that back, it hits your taxes. So you have to add even $15,000 more to your tax line item. Um, if you want to do yeah. um, calculated loss, that's one of my favorite categories where that's that little category of cushion where you could spend money on pitches or do a pet project. Um, you can even choose to take a loss and spend more on to like overproduce a project in order to, you know, boost the three R's that you talk yeah, about all the time. Those are, that's the opportunity and where it comes from. This is going to be such an, an amazing award-winning attention getting project. I'm going to invest in this project. And it, in, at that moment, you can make that decision. And, but you're right. It's nice to have made that decision in advance, right? You make the decision in advance, not in real time when you think, well, the money will just come from somewhere. It's like, no, it won't come from somewhere unless you've allocated it and made that decision in advance. That's right. And then, and then one of the last items I put in that overflow um, category is a, is a very clear line. And the line is profit. And I believe that you have to have some profitability in the company. You might as well capture that right off, right off from the beginning, like make it an expense item, know how much that profit's going to be. So you know what else there is available to work with. And I want that money, that profit money to go straight into an investment account and I want that profit to be reinvested or invested outside of the company where you're doubling it. And, and I want you to double that money in three to five years, that money needs to be doubled. So now we've come full circle because you finally answered my question. <laughs> exactly. Right? That profit isn't actually the money that's just sort of lying around. It just happens to be left over at the end of the project. We made thousands of decisions, and at the very end, we said, "Well, look, there's a little pile of money over there left over. We call that profit, because, as you just described, we can in advance say, no, this co this company is going to generate five percent, ten percent, whatever percent of profit that is true, pure profit, and then we can make decisions in into the future as we as the future comes out, we can make decisions in order to." preserve and protect that profit rather than it just being an accident. Right. And here's what's really important, Joel. Like if you, you could spend every dollar every year and get that profit down to near zero. So you don't have to pay taxes, but then there's going to come a day where you actually want to do something else with your business because your business is an asset, which means it's something that you can leverage, exchange, buy, acquire, move around. And if that business has not made any profit, like you have an, a zero profit, for seven years in a row, the value of that business is zero. doesn't matter how much right. revenue you have in there. So there are things, and I'm not going to get into EBITDA and stuff like that. There are ways of capturing that money back when talking about that. But it's important to show the viability of your business to outsiders. So it is important to have some profit. You pay that profit out. You make sure that it's available showing up on a P&L. And when you go to your bank and you want to negotiate a better banking deal or you want to do an acquisition of a company, you're going to leverage that profit line item as part of that conversation. But that's moving it's from your really P&L to a balance sheet. So that's maybe a, a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> a different <laughs> conversation. But the point is well taken that in the early young years of a business, it may seem fine to, quote, break even so you don't incur the taxes on that profit. But as your business grows and evolves through the years, 
that profit will become more and more important and more valuable in your future. Yeah, and, and it's very important to talk to a tax strategist about that. We deal a lot with companies that um, move from cash accounting to accrual accounting in order to help um, match things. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the it's one of the most difficult conversations to tell people why it's a benefit. That, but the minute people tip over, the right companies tip over, it makes a gigantic benefit for to cash flow. Um, and again, maybe a topic for a different day, maybe a less boring <laughs> conversation. I but these are all things like. I just Google it. That's all, you know, like get out there and start learning what accrual accounting is and cash accounting and profit and tax scales. Like you should know this stuff. Your money's going there anyway. Start putting that stuff on a spreadsheet and calculating your future. Yeah, Google, EBITDA and all those other fancy terms because at some point those things will matter to you. The sooner you start getting exposed to them and understanding them, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, nothing beats education. You know, some of like that's what we try to do in... Um, not, you know, these conferences, we don't, um, they're not for everyone, but we've done the conferences, um, like the ones we did at Terranea, the, the fourth stage conference we're talking about doing in Moldova. There's opportunity for, to talk with others that are doing this work and figuring out what to do with their, you know, their overflow and, and better ways of using it and kind of strategically talking about the big picture, if you're having difficulty running your day-to-day -day business, it's not the right stage of your career and your business to talk about that, but eventually you'll get there and you're going to want to know what that, uh, what those resources are and who else is kind of thinking the same way and talking about the same strategies. Well, you just reminded me that, 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 that remember the ice cube trays analogy that you did at Terranio? I should, it, we're definitely overdue to have another one of those sessions with a room full of owners so they can understand that concept. So I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, Tim, I'm, I got to put you in front of a whiteboard and do the IT trays thing. <laughs> yeah. I just want to do like a, I want to hire Brasilero to do an animation of the ice cube trade thing instead of my really bad hand drawing. <laughs> but um, yeah. The, I can get on board I, with that. Yeah. That's in a, in a funny way that I guess that's why I use the term overflow because I have in my mind this idea of how ice cube trays are filled up and you fill up, you know, basically a, a section of the ice cube tray and it flows over to the next piece and it flows over to the next piece. And then it basically flows over your entire ice cube tray. That's what you want to think about when you're doing certain parts of uh, corporate investment and ideas is how do you get more water to flow through it? And we talked about adding more spigots, like you actually right. just add more spigots and more can flow into it and more can flow out of it at a faster pace and cash becomes a, a time equation, uh, not a money equation at that point. I think we're getting really well, heady right here, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously pretty... it's something that I, we'd love to talk about. Yeah, well, we'll, um, we'll find an opportunity at an event or a mastermind or something so that we can have you express those ideas and we'll maybe get something animated so you don't have to draw it by hand next time. Yeah, and, and I, you know, truly, like these are just things of, um, it's not the only thing we do at RevThink, but it's probably one of those first things that was out there that most business owners didn't know. And I didn't know either. So just to yeah. begin to ask the questions, um, when we kind of discovered it, I mean, I think that some of the magic of the factors report we do and then how the splits work using the factors so we can tell where the money goes and we can predetermine that money on a project by project basis the thought that you know the best way to deal with the future is to create it 
it becomes a real practice when you can put these proactive mechanisms in place and determine where you're going to spend your investment dollars before you even make it. Um, it yeah, just, it, it changes the dynamics. It's, it's, it's very exciting, especially in a world of what, what is usually believed to be very subjective. We're in a creative industry. We don't really have control over all of these vagaries and so forth. And the reality is, no, you have, you have a lot of control and a lot of influence over uh, the present as well as the future. Well, so maybe you should tell really cool thing. Tell the story about when, uh, so, you know, you and I sat down at Elway's and we talked about this and I drew it on a napkin and that was pretty fun. And then the next day you put me in front of your, your company <laughs> and you're like, Tim, Tim, show them, show them. And I get up there and it's like, I bombed because all of a sudden it became. Let's save that for a, an upcoming row of thoughts. Sure. And I'll just tease it out with this. I remember Rebecca, my executive producer, looking at me and saying, Joel, don't make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that moment? Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, it took some time before everyone realized it's all going to be okay. It's gonna be and I think okay. it's because uh, the minute you start changing terms on people, it's like reality sets in. And, and maybe there's a moment of um, just aha, like, wait a second, maybe I haven't been doing this right for 20 years. And I don't want that to, I don't want to believe that's true. But really, as you and I know, like once you get on the other side of that, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom available. And, and you can determine a lot of your future um, when you take control of these items. Well, let's just end on that note then, because that freedom word is a, is a, is a good one. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll finish that thought in a future Rev Thoughts and talk that more about the great. splits and, and all that. So, all right, cool. Well, I appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Safe travels. <laughs>